to Acts chapter 17. So I realized my fupa. I should have said for those who are good looking and not so good looking. That, that would have been better, huh? Best ideas come afterwards. Yes, please, Erwin. Thank you. Jesus, praise His name. I guess that's the one that's going to be going through my head this week. Huh? That an amazing grace. Okay. We are in a series called His Mission. Thank you, sir. And uh, I hope that you're uh, enjoying it. I'm trying to include some uh, ideas about it, too, in the emails that go out on Monday and um, also uh, Thursday or, or Friday. So if you're not getting those, please let me know and or hand me your email, and I will make sure you get on the list. I hope you'll read through those. There's some helpful things in there. Because we want to take seriously this mission Jesus gave us. Remember, he's, uh, what we're hoping for one day is when we make it to, to heaven, and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And I think even as we see in the book of Revelation, churches will be judged. <laughs> Not just individuals, but churches. And we want him to say to Hilltop uh, Church, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant. So you're back from Labor Day. I don't know about you, but uh, Labor Day is always, I've always thought of it as a strangely named holiday because what do you do on Labor Day? You do nothing. You, you rest. And that's a, it's a good thing, but they should call it no Labor Day. Are you with me? And I think there is a holiday that the church needs as well. We don't have it on our calendar. It would probably be a, a good thing to put on or, or, or somehow to commemorate and remember. And we would call it Mission Day. A whole day where we as the church just focus on learning and preparing for and doing whatever we need to do. But to be reminded, we have a mission. Jesus has given us a mission. This is what this series is about, His mission. The first week we, we, uh, we learned this. Uh, we were in Acts chapter 1. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a mission. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've received forgiveness of your sins and a new life and the Holy Spirit, then He has also given you a mission. In Acts 1.8, we saw that you will be my witnesses, He said, to the world. And then he told them to go. Well, actually, the, the angel showed up in Acts 1 and told them, you've got to go. And they went to Jerusalem where the mission began. And then last week, we learned this. What's the content of our mission? And we were in Acts 22, and we, we heard Paul's story. And we, we got this outline from it. First, he told them what he was. He had been a hater of people. Really, he was a, uh, a thug to Christians and beating them up. And so in that, there means, oh, it's possible that I, as a person, can change. I can have an I was this way. And then Paul had this power encounter with God. And we said that once, if you become a Christian, you've had a power encounter. Now, it was not most likely as dramatic as Paul's power encounter where he had this bright light and heard a voice. If you had one of those, I would love to hear that, that story. But for most of us, our power encounter was just a conviction of something. For me, I shared it was the conviction that because my parents had divorced, there was no solid foundation of love in my life. And I knew that the only love that would never let me down was God. That was my power encounter. And then, because Paul was strategic, remember we talked about this. First he says, I was. Then he says, power encounter. But he hasn't mentioned Jesus yet. He's drawing them in. Do you want to have an I was story? 
Do you want the power to change your life? Because nothing, there's no other power that works. All the self-help books in the world, they keep being written, don't help. Then he says, the righteous one, Jesus. He tells them who you need if you want that power encounter that changes your life. Because it's Jesus, he says, that forgives our sins and transforms us, gives us new life. So we, we, week one was mission given. Week two was uh, mission content. And now here we are on week three. Mission engagement. Now let's ask this question. If we have this wonderful mission we have been given, and the mission is to help people find they can be forgiven and have brand new lives, why isn't it selling? Why isn't it popular? Why isn't everybody wanting it? I've been talking about fair food. Are you reading the articles and stuff about all the fair food out there? Right? Fried Snickers doesn't appeal to me. Uh, the triple cheeseburger donut, right? You heard of that one? It's a Krispy Kreme donut for buns and cheese triple cheeseburger in between. And now I love triple cheeseburger. I'd love a Krispy Kreme donut, but I want my dinner and my dessert separate, right? At least a minute or two in between the two. But this year one got to me and I keep thinking about it. And I'm telling you, I'm confessing to you so you can hold me accountable. And so I do not eat it but I'm tempted to go and sneak into the fair and, and get one. Are you ready? Fried pecan pie. Oh, On a stick. <laughs> yeah. I know, that's the seller point right there. Fried pecan pie. And uh, it's one of their, it's only $6.60, which is, is worth it. But those things sell, at least to me. Why, why doesn't this great news we have, why doesn't it sell? And it's because our thinking, our understanding of reality, our worldview, the Christian worldview, and the non-Christian worldview, their understanding or belief about reality are far apart. So you've heard of the, the book, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, right? Did I get that right? Okay. And so those two things are uh, planets and they're furthest in our solar system when they're furthest apart, about 140 million miles apart. But yet, somehow, men and women can communicate and get along by the grace of God, right? Normally, sometimes at least. But when you compare the Christian worldview, what we believe, and the non-Christian worldview, we're talking galaxies apart. Our nearest galaxy is 13 billion light years. So we ask the question, how? <laughs> How do we even begin to engage with our friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, classmates, and co-workers, with others in this world, if our thinking and their thinking are so far apart? And that's where Paul helps us when he goes to Athens in Acts chapter 17. Are you there? Uh, this morning, Acts 17, Paul finds himself uh, in Athens, the center of Greek philosophy, of Greek religion, of Greek culture. It was no longer at its height because the Romans had taken over, but it still was the place you went if you wanted to get into Greek philosophy or Greek religion or Greek culture. <clears throat> this was uh, the greatest intellectual and religious center in the Western world at the time was in Athens. So why? <laughs> why is Paul 
in Athens, if it's the place least likely to receive the message that he is, is giving, why is he there? And I don't mean why as far as what's the text tell us, but what has motivated him to go there? Anybody know? Think about our current sermon series. Hmm? Oh, think about our current sermon series. Why is Paul there? Mission. Because he's on mission. Isn't that scary? If you decide, it's all, you've already been given the mission, if you decide to be obedient to a mission, you're going to find yourself in places and surrounded by people and you'll be going, why am I here, God? Because I have a mission for you. What does it take to engage our world? What does it take to engage our world? I hope you're following along in your, in your notes uh, uh, that you have a bulletin this morning. There'll be a lot of notes to take. I'll do my best to and to help you there, especially when we talk about worldview. What does it take to engage our world? I'm going to read to you now from Acts 17. We're just going to read verses 1 and 2 to begin with here. Acts 17. <clears throat> While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Gracious Almighty God, add your blessing to the study of your word this morning that we might understand it and Lord, that we might live it out. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. What does it take to engage our world? I'm going to tell you three things it takes to engage our world, according to Paul's uh, story here uh, in Acts, and then we'll take a break in between and, and look at worldview. But the first thing is this, a distressed heart. Paul had a distressed heart. Now, your, your Bible versions may say uh, something different, may say he was, he was troubled. Um, some may say he was, was angered, but don't think of that as angry at, but angered because of the situation. Uh, <clears throat> he had a distressed heart. Paul was distressed. He was concerned deeply. He was troubled by the impact all these idols had on human lives here in Athens. He was sickened by this. That would be a great way to translate that into to English for us, how we get this. He was sick in his heart for these people, for what was going on. Now we go, well, hey, no problem. We don't have any idols today, right? We don't have people going home to their, their homes and have little shrines and little dolls, and, or I shouldn't say dolls, but that's uh, idols of some type, and bowing down to them. Not too much in ways in American culture. That's a misunderstanding of idolatry. We need to understand what idolatry is so that we can see how prevalent it is in our world and that we also can have sickened hearts because of it. When you make an idol, you make God, you do art, basically. You create God in your image. Or we'll put it this way, you create God uh, out of your own mind. You shape God, His character and who He is, by your thinking, your opinions. An idol is a human being creating God. That's why Paul later on will say, God created us. We are His offspring. We don't determine what He is like. He determined what we're like. So whenever we hear someone say, or sometimes we say it ourselves, I think God is, outside of what Scripture says, that's idolatry. We are creating God by our own opinion, by our own thinking, by our own feelings. 
And this sickened Paul. In fact, later on he would say uh, people are reaching or groping around in the dark. Our world, when we say they're lost, and they have no clue how good, how great, how glorious God is. Because they have their own concept of God. They've made up God by what they think rather than being shaped by the revealed Word of God who He truly is. And because we know who God is through His Word, and a few weeks ago we said, well, how can you really know what God is like? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus who is God, we're told, is the manifestation of God's glory. That means all of God's personality and um, character traits and values, anything you can know about God is communicated us by the Son through Jesus. And we're helped to understand that by the Holy Spirit. The Trinity works in there. And as we know God through Jesus, don't you want others to be rid of the lies? To be rid out of the darkness? Don't you see how their concept of God, their belief about God, is destroying them and keeping them from the hope and the truth that we have realized? And that should make our hearts sick because of all the idolatry, the wrongness, if you will, about God in our, our world. <clears throat> you ever have that desire when you're, you're trying to convince someone how good something is? You say, you say oh, if only, if only you would try it. If only you would try fried pecan pie, right? <laughs> you would love, oh, I don't want that. I, it's bad for you. It's, I don't like, well, yeah, it is bad for you. Let's take that out. I don't like that. How do you know? I just know I don't. If you'd only try it. You ever have a movie you go see and you want someone else to see it? And you, if only you would just go see it, you would like it just like I do. That should be our desire. If only you could know God the way Jesus has revealed Him, the way I know Him, you would jump at the opportunity to know Him more. Secondly is this. If we're going to engage, how do, what do we do? How do we, um, what does it take to engage our world? Long-term, patient, personal relationships. <clears throat> Long-term, patient, personal relationships. Look, this is really fascinating when you slow down here. Verse 17, He reasoned in the synagogue <clears throat> with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day. Daily, over and over again, with the same people many times. <laughs> he was spending time talking to them. We, we talked about this last week. And when Paul talked to others about Jesus, he spoke their language. Now, he literally spoke their language. He could speak Greek, he could speak Aramaic, he could speak Hebrew, he spoke whatever language was needed. But whatever the people's heart language is, he would talk to them. When we talk to others about Jesus, we have to do it not in a preachy way, not in a, <clears throat> a soapbox way, if you know what that term means. Not in, as I could do in a sermon, but just having a conversation. Just talking to them like you would tell them about the, you know, the latest book you read. What's going on with your, your family? And doing it day by day. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going to turn my mic off. Why long-term, patient, personal relationships? Because in the marketplace of life where Paul was, 
his worldview and their worldview were, remember, galaxies apart. And the only way to span that gap is being patient with people who are not like you and who you may not like. Right? <laughs> people who aren't like us, we a lot of times don't like. But conversing with them over time. And we could even say here, we could put another P in there, long-term, patient, personal, purposeful relationships with the hope that God would give us opportunity and boldness to share the mystery and the good news of Jesus. It takes long. Think about some of your, your friends that you've lost contact with, non-Christians, because we get busy in our Christian circles and our Christian things. Or, or you just hear something in their life or you see something in their life and it annoys you. <clears throat> I am so sorry. You any water on you, honey? I, I really didn't start smoking. I know some of you think so. I, I sing loud in church. Not only do I enjoy singing the worship, but I try to get all this stuff to clear out beforehand, but it's, uh, it happens up here. I don't know why. It takes time. It takes patience. Paul was not talking to his buddies, his friends, other Christians. He was engaging those around him who had a totally different lifestyle, totally different worldview, Maybe annoying, difficult, troubled personalities. All those things. But he did it because he was on mission. And as a result of this, he's noticed by um, the Areopagus Council. <clears throat> it's a big word there. Because most likely, these were the leading citizens of Athens, the <clears throat> intellectual elite. They were probably heads of departments and universities there, and they decided what could be taught and what couldn't be taught. And so they hear Paul teaching. They, they think he's teaching two different gods. They think, oh, what are these gods you're talking about? Which shows us they're not even listening to his message. Because they're hearing him talk about Jesus, God number one, and resurrection, God number two. Because resurrection in Greek is anastasis which sounds like the female name Anastasia, right? Now you know why she's named that. Came back from the dead, so to speak. <clears throat> so they're already confused. You see how the worldviews work? They're already confused. And so they say, you're going to come talk to us. Now, it's not a friendly invitation. There's some hostility behind it. But let's, let's just listen uh, to verses 18 through 24. We're not going to study uh, Paul's um, speech this morning. Look at it a little bit, but I want you to see what's going on as he gets ready to talk to them. First, starting in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So these uh, Epicureans, uh, you know, they believe that uh, you couldn't hear, know, see or touch God and life was just about being being happy. And the Stoic philosophers believe that uh, God was in everything. He's in this chair or pew. He's, he's everywhere and you have to get in touch with his knowledge. OK, so these are these guys, again, miles apart. So they began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Just so you know, yes, that's an insult. Uh, one uh, uh, Greek scholar, the New Testament scholar, says a better way to translate, translate babbler is bird brain. Go ahead and write that in your Bibles. Huh? What is this bird brain trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching good, the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know 
what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now, Luke inserts a a thought here, verse 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That's not a compliment to to the uh, uh, the citizens of Athens. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. We'll we'll pause right there. Paul begins to engage these folks with the truth of the good news. And I pause here because we, we don't, we're not going to study everything that he said this morning. I think it's more helpful to us if we were to talk about and get an idea of worldview because Paul understood what he was going into. And we need to understand what we're going into when we engage others in our mission. Paul knows he's not going to get very long here. <laughs> Sometimes you read this and you think, well, he just said that so they would get upset at him. No, he's speaking the truth. And he knows because they're so far apart, he has to he has a short time. He needs to get it out there. So at least he can plant a seed, hopefully, in some folks and maybe and we'll see later that some actually came to to believe. So uh, if you see in your notes, it says there's a line there. It says Christian worldview and non-Christian. Do you see that? I'm going to do my best uh, using this board and my wonderful writing skills to help us understand uh, the Christian, and I'll just put a C there, and the non-Christian worldview. Now, if you need to move up at any time here, uh, feel free to do that. Maybe one day we'll get a big, huge whiteboard in here so it'll be easier to see. All right, so the Christian worldview, that's what the Bible has revealed to us, and we believe it is God... Uh, I'm going to do a little bit bigger there for you. It's God-focused. Okay? Or God-centered. It begins with God. God is the one who created reality. God is reality. Okay, And what did God do? God created. God created the world. And remember, from Genesis, God created the world good. Now, if you have trouble here, I I promise I will... uh, um, somehow get this out to you this week and, and uh, so you can have the, the fuller notes. In fact, I stole this from another pastor, so maybe I can find some of his information and give it to you. His name's Kevin Myers, just to get full, full detail there. So God created, and remember, he created the world good. When God created life, it was good. <laughs> God is the original source of the good life. Okay, But then we sinned. Sin is a choice to disobey God. To do what He doesn't want us to do or to not do what He wants us to do. We sinned. And the result of sin, as God warned in Genesis, is death. A fallen world. We're we're told in Romans that even, Paul tells us, that even the creation was subjected to futility. Because humankind sinned, somehow the whole world started to fall apart. That was not God's original intent. We did it. We chose to go our own way. 
Sin brought death into the world. So sorrow, pain, um, all the bad things, disease, all that comes because of sin. So what did we need? A Savior. And who is that? Come on, easy question. You know, what are the, what are the t- top three questions or answers in church? Jesus, God, or heaven? Usually, usually one of one of those. We need a savior. Jesus comes, and and Jesus brings us salvation. We don't have to earn it. And um, in this series, we're talking about uh, the message of salvation, just as Paul gave it in Acts twenty-two. Was we're forgiven of our sins. And we are transformed, given new life. And that comes through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus brings us um, salvation. I'm going to check my notes here. Okay. And as a result, we have a new home. All right? Earth is no longer our home. So you could say the kingdom of God... Uh, or you could, in a sense, you could write heaven is our home. We are no longer living uh, for this earth. We live for heaven. We live for the kingdom of God. We live to be with Jesus. And earth, uh oh, we're is temporary. We're camping. We're camping here on earth. <clears throat> Let me draw you a, a picture to help us understand this idea. I'll have to do some erasing uh, later. So. There's earth. There's us. I'm really good at stick figures. Okay. And here on earth is not our home. We camp. Our home is, is heaven. And I'm calling it the kingdom of God because one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. All right. So we'll be living on earth, but it'll be brand new. So the kingdom of God or the new heaven, uh, new earth. That's our home. And while we're here on earth, we're called to be holy. Our job on earth is to be holy, to be set apart for Christ, for His work, for His mission, for His glory, His servants, whatever He wants to do in our lives. This is basically our worldview. Because it's our desire to be holy, uh, we let God, our Father, or let me put it this way, I have to destroy a little bit of the earth there to get all this in, so sorry. So, um, our truth comes from God. He's our truth, our reality. And we'll say it this way, I'll put it up here. We live God's life, or the God life, uh, God's rules. How do we know what's true? How do we know what's real? How do we know uh, in the decisions we make in life what we should do? When, you, when you're reading all that's going on in politics and science, how do you know what the truth is? Well, we as Christians believe God is the source of our truth. And we want the God life. We live by God's rules. Okay. What's the non-Christian view? Well, theirs is not God-focused or God-centered. Guess what the focus or center is? Humankind. Human beings are the center. <laughs> They're focused on themselves. The non-Christian says, 
the purpose of life is for human beings to be basically happy. So, so they have no God. Right? There's no, no creation. Things just kind of came into being, whether uh, through evolution or aliens or you know, whatever the latest theory might be. All right? There's no uh, creation. There's no sin. We haven't done nothing wrong. We're just being human, right? Uh, there's no need for a Savior. In fact, someone said to the non-Christian, Jesus is at best a cuss word. That's it, right? Because we don't, we don't need a Savior. And therefore, there's no salvation. Now, are you noticing here? <laughs> All the things we like to talk about, they don't exist in the non-Christian mind and the non-Christian worldview. We got we we don't have much in common with them, do they? Where do they get their truth? Remember, we get our truth from God. Uh, they get their truth. Uh, we'll just say here feelings and opinion. That's their truth, and they don't believe in a in a heaven, but they do have an earth, and their their earth life is their home. And guess what they're doing on their, their home? And their purpose is to, I won't put a circle there, is to be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. You following? This is the non-Christian world view. Feelings determine and their opinion, their thoughts, bless you, determine their truth. And so they live by, we live by, the Christians live by the motto, God life, God's rules. Be holy. They live by the motto. Where can I put it? Put it up here. My life. My rules. All right. I know that's that's really bad writing. If I had faith, I would pray that God would enlarge in this uh, about two feet. And I have to do some erasing here to, to, in order to, to finish what I want to do. I'm just going to erase the stuff in the center. So keep in mind, the non-Christian, their truth, how they make decisions is based on feeling. That's where we're going today You know, with, with the transgender movement. The church comes in and says it's dangerous because you're basing reality on how you feel. We acknowledge that your feelings are real, that you feel that way. But to live by how you feel is to go against reality, and that's dangerous. Out of love, we, we share this with you and we empathize with you and we want to walk with you through what? Long, <laughs> patient, personal, purposeful relationship so you can see that trusting God is the best way uh, to go. But I want to I share with you something that sometimes happens in the church and we need to be, be aware of here. And it happens in the world too. That, that this, is, um, this is very simplistic. It's just to help us understand. And there's, there's a lot of complexity in how worldviews actually work. And sometimes they can get mixed together, especially when you have this idea of idolatry. Remember we're t how many idols? Oops, that's a D-O. There were a lot of idols Paul found. In other parts of the Bible, he'll say there are a lot of false teachers. So those are the false ideas. And what happens with idolatry, and it can sneak into the church, that we can get drawn into this side, and sometimes this side will draw, get drawn into this side a little bit and try to morph the two. 
And here you have this belief that the purpose of God or God's life, God's purpose is to make me happy. God, your job is to make me happy, happy while I'm living by my rules. God's life, my rules. And the result of that is two things. Confusion. I don't get God. I don't get what you're doing. I don't get what you're up to. And along with that, frustration. Confusion and frustration. Sometimes we are frustrated with God because we think that His purpose for us should be to make us happy. God's not against us being happy. He wants us to be happy. But He also knows, because He is our source of truth, that the way to happiness is holiness. That as we pursue and chase after Jesus Christ, as we let the Word and His Word in the New Testament form and shape us, that is the way to happiness. The happiness that the world wants, my life, my rules, or God's life, my rules, seeking happiness that way always ends or leads to emptiness. Always. When we seek to be holy, the side benefit of that, if you will, is that God's joy and happiness pervades our lives. I want you to see what you're up against. We're up against people who think totally differently than we do. And we're up against being drawn into the middle. Somebody termed this uh, the Christian jackalope. You know what a jackalope is? Right? It's a mythological creature, or is it? Huh? Right? Is a jackrabbit? It's got antelope horns. And uh, it's fun. You're traveling through, I guess it is the Midwest or wherever they have these signs and pictures. And hey, see if you can find yourself a jackalope. You know, they don't really e exist. And there's, this isn't reality. There are jackalope Christians who are, are frustrated and can't figure out why they're not growing or why God isn't doing what He's supposed to do because they think God is supposed to make me happy while I live by my rules rather than to seek God's life by His rules of being holy. So we're pulling people. We're hoping that we can get people all the way from there to here or from in here to here. And if you find yourself in here, be saying, Lord, help me, correct me, my thinking by Your Word to get to where I need to be. Your life, Your rules. How do we engage a culture that's a galaxy away from our thinking? The final point this morning, number three. Celebrate the small victories. Celebration of the small victories. I'm going to uh, read to you just verses 30 through 34 to close up the, the reading of the passage this morning. In the past, Paul says, God overlooked such ignorance. Where's the ignorance? Way over here. Human uh, centered, non Christian worldview. God overlooked such ignorance in the past because he's a God of grace and because we didn't have Jesus yet. <laughs> Uh, verse 31, for he has set a day, I'm sorry, verse 30, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And if God commands everyone to repent, then it is possible. Hold on to that thought, because I know there are people and neighbors and friends and things or folks in your life. You're going, well, that one is beyond God's grace. 
But if God commands everyone to repent, then it is possible now through Jesus Christ and the provenient grace of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit going before us. It's possible that we can repent. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now, Paul just took their worldview here and he said, He just laid it out for him. Here is the Christian worldview. That's why he gets the reaction he does. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject, which really means let's get lunch someday. Okay. At that, Paul left the council. But look, look at verse 34. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. These two, I think, are mentioned simply to say one of those in the elite and one of the just everyday people (laughs) came to believe. And they celebrated this because that is a big win. In Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches, do you remember how many repented and came to Christ? Anybody know the number? 3,000. Woohoo! Acts chapter 17. Some. <laughs> Paul, you're not doing very well. He is. The, the Jewish worldview has a lot of these. They have God. They have God created. They have the problem of sin. Now, they, they know they need a Savior, but they, they don't know who it is. So from there on, they're kind of down low. But see how close their worldview was when Peter preached to them? It was easy to draw them in. I don't want to say easy, but easier. That's why here at the end of Acts 17, it's preparing us. We're going to go into our world. We're not going to have an Acts 2 experience. I mean, it's possible that God could do it, but it's most likely not going to be. We're going to have an Acts 17 experience. Our hearts are broken and stirred and sickened by uh, the lostness and the darkness others are in. And if we just stick with them and engage them through uh, a purposeful, patient, long-term, personal relationships, understanding what we're trying to draw them from way over there to way over here, by how we live, we have to make sure we're living in this worldview and they're watching us, then we'll be able to celebrate some of these small Victories. Can you say amen to that? Wouldn't that be exciting? So here was the assignment last week. You all got blue cards. All right, church. Four people gave me their blue cards. So these people, make sure you get a happy face sticker from Tony as you leave this morning. Kelly Williams, Rose Simons, Bob Lapp, and Mary Davison. Woohoo, way to go. The rest of you, actually, I forgot to collect them, so pardon on me, because my, my wife is my brain and she wasn't here last week. So you have two cards. One is for you. One is for the church. The one for you is to write the name of some person that God has put on your heart. And you're going to be praying Colossians 4, 3 and and asking God to give you an opportunity uh, to to share with them, to start sharing something about this worldview with them and moving them this way. All right. Then at the bottom, if you have other people, I told you, you know, maybe there's others that come to your mind, too. They're your reserve team or your farm team. You can bring them up later as, as God leads. The other card is for the church. On that card, I want your name and the name of the person that God has laid on your heart. Because we're going to make a list. I'm not going to publish it, but we're going to share it with our congregation so that we can all be praying. Colossians 4.3 and Ephesians 6.19, we'll get there. We can all be praying and we can all be celebrating 
Even if there's just a small victory. Well, this person I'm talking to says, you know, maybe there's something to the creation or maybe there is a problem with sin. Whoa, that's big. (laughs) You know, you know how long it takes to get to another galaxy? 13 billion light years. If they move a little bit, that's like uh, moving a million light years, right? At least or a billion light years. So would you fill these out? You can hand them to me, hand them to Lisa, hand them to somebody in my family or someone that or just give them to me or get them to us. And we want to do this, but we have to be intentional. Paul was intentional. And by intentional, I mean at least one person. I'll be honest, I got two on my list. But I'm just asking at least for one person. Amen? Would you stand with me as we uh, pray as the worship team comes forward? I'm going to set this over here. I won't. Good, you guys can come forward and I'll pray as uh, we get ready to close and worship. I got to say, I'm enjoying this series. I hope uh, you are too. I, I, I know you may find it challenging, and, and if uh, you're missing the, some of the stuff I did today, I will make sure I get that, communicate that to you on a piece of paper or in a way. I didn't realize when I'm drawing here how, how restricted it was, but that you have a, a good understanding of that worldview in case you feel like you didn't make it there this morning. But we have to engage our culture, and it's not going to be easy. And the big problem with the church is pews and chairs, right? <laughs> They're so comfortable. Yeah, that's why, that's why uh, when uh, Jesus went to heaven after giving the mission, he had to send two angels down, down saying, tell them to go. They're starting to build pews right there, chairs right there. We have to be pushed. We have to be pushed. We have to be pushed. Some of that pushing will come when we hear celebrations of how it's going. Let's pray. Lord in heaven. Again, we are, we are getting it into our minds and our hearts. You've given us this mission. And Lord, I confess, I can walk around, around this world and, and simply just enjoy wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, and, and not even see the idolatry, not see the lostness or the darkness people are in. We pray, God, that the same Spirit that caused Paul's heart to be sick for the lost, that You would give us that same Spirit. That You would start breaking our hearts and troubling us with certain individuals or with groups of people. And Lord, that You would help us and and give us opportunity and push us to build these long-term, personal, purposeful, patient relationships with those who do not believe, those non-believers, understanding how far apart we are. And Lord, we pray that You might give us victories, even small victories, and help us to be faithful to share it with each other so we can celebrate People coming out of their lostness and their darkness, reaching and finding you because, Jesus, you said, you are near. You are within reach. Make us into faithful people, faithful to your mission. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.